0: Welcome to the Legacy House podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. Always at the mall here, they have um, one of the local high school bands that will gift wrap everything for you. Uh, which is great, uh, because I'm also a horrible rapper. Uh, I think there's levels of horrible rappers. One is the person who cuts really jagged uh, 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 wrapping paper. Like, it's a paper cut waiting to happen. That's probably more of my that's probably more of my area. The other type of horrible wrapper is the person who uses an entire roll of tape on every single package. <laughs> like, they intentionally try to keep you from not being able, you're like trying to find a crease somewhere, and you just have to like burn the wrapping paper <laughs> off to like Get to the gift, and it's funny because in 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 our world and in our society right now, especially in the, in the just the time of year that we're in, our 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 lives are kind of all consumed by the holiday season. And it's fun, and it's an exciting. And next Sunday we are not having service, that's why we're having church on on Saturday. So don't show up on Sunday; you'll be the only one here. And God bless you, but you'll be the only one here. And uh, but next Sunday, as you're sitting with your family and you're just spending time together, whatever your holiday traditions look like. It's interesting because it really is an opportunity throughout this whole season to really remember who God is and what God is doing in our life. You know, Christmas is a lot bigger than the presents. Uh, and, really, um, and really, the traditional idea of what we've seen of Christmas is really kind of incorrect. Uh, you see in Matthew chapter 2 here some very clear and very... Um, poignant uh, leadership and insight given by these three wise men. And today, if you've got your Bibles and you've got a pen or something, you can take notes with me today. Uh, We're going to kind of talk around the idea of being gift-wrapped. Uh, I think a lot of times as Christians, we can be gift-wrapped believers, um, where, where we're kind of tied up in some things, we're kind of held by some things that we really maybe never intended to be in the first place, uh, but it just has kind of happened. Uh, maybe it was because of someone else, maybe it was because of something else, but we kind of find ourselves gift, gift-wrapped, where we're kind of stuck, we're isolated, everything might like look cute and look pretty, but it's not really how we've ever desired it to be. Really, the wise men here are a very interesting story because when you have a nativity, like if you've got a nativity at your house right now, your nativity uh, has a lot of different people in it. It has uh, Joseph and Mary, has baby Jesus, probably looking very, very angelic in his little manger. And then it has a couple shepherds, shepherd, uh, maybe a sheep, maybe a donkey, uh, maybe a cow. How many of you have a nativity with a cow? Yes, amen. See, some of y'all didn't believe me that there was cows in nativities. Like, he's a liar. Nope, uh, Miss Becky proved me right. Uh, like you, you have, There's all kinds of different nativities. But then also what you'll see a lot of times is you see the wise men. And so you've got to have the shepherds, the wise men, Mary and Joseph, and Jesus. Um, just for uh, historical fact, the shepherds uh, were there when Jesus was in the manger, but the wise men were not there. When the wise men show up here in Matthew chapter 2, a lot of theologians believe that Jesus was between a year and two years old. So the manger, the life way of all people, has been selling you is heresy. And that's lame. But it's kind of not playing. Uh, anyways, neither here nor there, they are Southern Baptists. I'm just joking if you listen to the podcast, which by the way, we have one. Uh, no, but it's uh, it, it, it's funny because all of the kind of the Christian memorabilia sells the nativity as uh, Mary and Joseph, Jesus, the shepherds, the wise men, and some random livestock uh, that just happen to be a part of the nativity scene. But the wise men are a little bit different because they show up nearly two years after Jesus' birth. If you really take time to read your Bible, you see there even in the story where it says, the wise men went to the house where Mary and Jesus were. They didn't go to the manger. Uh, Joseph had provided the home. They're living in a nice house in Bethlehem. Maybe it's a duplex. I don't know what it is, Uh, but they're hanging out. They've got a house. Jesus is now growing. He's not the baby that he once was. But you find some things very clearly from the life of these three wise men that I believe are important for us because it's one thing to be there when it happens. It's another thing to show up after it has happened. You ever been to uh, uh, maybe a church service before or, or talked to just someone before where they refer to the greatest days of their life, of their church, uh, of their family as days that are in the past? Well, you know, you should have seen us. should have seen this 10 years ago. We just were great. we We're strong. People, people busting out the doors. Like, there's like 10 more people than there was now, but like, it's like a fishing story. Like, ministry stories are a lot like fishing stories. I looked over, as far as I could see, tens of thousands of people. The room sat 250, you know what I mean? Uh, I worked at a church one time. We had a new guy on staff, and uh, he came to a men's event, and he, he tweeted this, this thing, and he said, thousands of men tonight at our men's event. And uh and and some of our other leaders and pastors retweeted this post because that's exciting. Thousands of people at an event. Our auditorium set a thousand and it was about half full. So uh, oh boy had a heart, he had some fuzzy numbers going on that night. Like it was like he was like thousands of people, like all of a sudden our executives are like retweeting it and all this kind of stuff. What is going on at the men's event? I was like. Like 350 guys in here, right? This is great, but it's not thousands. And often in life, kind of the story of what used to be expands the further we get from it. Uh, the, the grandness of it, the greatness of it, uh, how happy we were, uh, how skinny we felt, uh, like everything. We always felt happier and skinnier 10 years ago. Uh, was just, I, I was just so small back then. I had all my hair back then, like, you know, uh, like whatever it might have been, it can always seem that we glorify and magnify the past. But the wise men, they kind of had a different um, part that they played in this Christmas story. Really, it wasn't the traditional part that we played. They weren't there the night that Jesus was in the manger. They didn't step into the to the kind of the livestock, you know, this really um, magical, so to speak, scene that we we know and we think of when we think of uh, Christianity and we think of Christmas. They showed up two years later. Jesus was was a toddler at this point like he was growing he was running around Um, we don't know much about the life of Jesus between kind of those points and so maybe Jesus was performing like low-key miracles in his house you know like he he was hungry his mom didn't want to give him food so he was just like making food appear he's like mother I have food you know not of and he's like you know like (laughs) making things just rise from the kitchen table I don't know uh I believe, like, let's be honest, like, I believe that Jesus is just so much of, like, an OG that he had to perform miracles as a kid. Like, I think he had to perform miracles around the house. Like, you don't do anything in public before you've tested it in private. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus is turning, like, the water into wine in this house. His, His mom's like, son, you're too young. Like, whatever it is, like, he's just, like, performing all these miracles, right? And so, Jesus is a toddler, he's walking around his house, he's, he's mobile at this point, like you have this mobile Messiah just stumbling around this house in Bethlehem. And here the wise men show up, and the wise men really had every single opportunity um, uh, to not get there. The journey for the wise men was not something that uh, just happened in a weekend. It wasn't something that happened over a couple days. A lot of people debate the length of time in which the, the wise men or the magi, whatever translation of the Bible you like to read, traveled to get to where Jesus was. Some people believe this was the very first time that the wise men saw the star was the night that Jesus was born. And then for the next year to two years, they followed the star, leading them all the way to Bethlehem. That's dedication, folks. That's not like I saw something right now in a moment, but this is something like I've seen this and I'm now going to allow this to like be the guiding light for who I am. Today, I've got a few things for you that I want us to look at out of Matthew chapter two that I can believe are gonna be important for us to not allow ourselves to get so wrapped up in ourself, in the season, in the stuff that we miss really what God wants to do. That we can really prevent ourselves from getting gift wrapped. That we can go through this whole season, we can end out this whole year focusing on everything except what we should be focusing on, which is the provision, the peace, the endurance of Jesus through his life and into our own. Look look back in Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read in verse 2 for you. It says, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw the stars that rose, and we have come to worship him. Here's where it begins to develop out for the wise men. They show up to Jerusalem. Uh, a lot of people believe that the wise men were uh, somewhere out of Arabia. That they kind of, they were maybe even Persian, and they kind of came up and they worked their way all the way to Jerusalem uh, because they could tell uh, they could tell that the star was over Israel. So a lot of people naturally believe that they went to the capital city because they believed that if a king of the Jews was going to be born, he was going to be born in the capital of that city or of that nation. So they go and they sit down with King Herod and they say, "Hey." Uh, Where's the king of the Jews? I heard that he was born, and uh, we've come to worship him. You have to understand that this is bigger than just like them talking to Herod, and Herod being like, oh, yes, Jesus is born. Finally, I'm so excited. What they essentially did was they went up to the current ruler of the children of Israel and said, hey, where is the divine ruler of the children of Israel? Where's the one that the prophets in Isaiah prophesied about and talked about? Where is he? Because we have come to worship him immediately the insecurity in Herod's life just went magnified to a 10,000 level. He was the leader, he was the king, he was the guy who was currently in charge, but now all of a sudden the wise men show up, they start asking about this young kid that everybody's prophesied about, and I didn't even know he was born yet. Herod goes on and he begins to talk and they begin to interact and you see this story, but the first thing that I wanna give you that we see out of the life of the wise men is this. The wise men, they were able to identify what was different. If we're not going to allow ourselves to be gift-wrapped this season where we become so um, focused on what we see and what we have and what we don't have and what we want and what 2016 didn't give us and what 2016 could have given us and all of these different things. We, this is our next to last, well, this will be our last Sunday as a church um, uh, together in this year, which is crazy when you think about it. 2016 is done. It feels like it was just January. It feels like we were at the cake auction. You know what I'm saying? How many of you were at the cake auction? Anyways, uh, like, it feels like, it feels like we, the year was just getting going. And often it's easy to look back and say, God, I thought that at the end of this year, I was going to be a lot more spiritual than I currently feel. But here's what happens with the wise men. The wise men were able to identify what was different. See, the wise men were astronomers, and the wise men, they watched for the star to rise. Every night, these wise men would study the sky. And when they studied the sky, what they would see was they would see that when a moment, when a star was born or when a star began to be birthed in the sky, they would be able to take notice of it. And in that day and in that time, what would happen is when they begin to notice a new star, it, it, symbolically in their culture, it identified the fact that someone of importance and prominence had been born. So here were, the, here were the wise men, and the wise men were only able to see Jesus' birth and to recognize the existence of who he was because their eyes were fixed on the sky. Because they were able to actually see what was different. Hey, look, if we're not examining the world around us, then we're not going to be able to identify when things change. If we're not examining who we are in our own lives and what God wants to do inside of our hearts and our lives, when God moves, we're not even going to recognize the fact that he moved. King Herod was stunned when the wise men showed up because all of a sudden, here these guys show up to the kingdom. They begin to say, hey, look, there's been a, uh, the king has been born, like Lion King. The king has been, like, it's like this, like this kind of this Lion King moment here in Jerusalem. And he says, look, we come looking for this, this, this son, this boy who's going to be the king of the Jews. Herod gets insecure because not just the fact that now his rule and his kingship is in his mind in jeopardy, he never saw it coming. He didn't even realize that this boy had been born. You know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Like, actually from Jerusalem? Five miles. Bethlehem from Jerusalem, five miles. I run that every single morning. I'm just, playing. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I think about running it every morning though, so that kind of counts. Like, that's like 250 calories thinking about it. Um, five miles, folks. Like how stupid do you have to feel if you're Herod to realize that the king, the one who's been prophesied about in the Old Testament, was just born five miles down the road from where you are. The wise men, they, they, they were able to see what was happening because they could identify what was different. Because they had their eyes fixed on the sky. And guess what? When you're looking at darkness long enough, you'll instantly begin to notice when a new light begins to appear. In the greatest darkness, light is always its most powerful. If this room was pitch black, I could light a match and everybody in the room could see it. But if the lights are on like this and I light a match, it's really not going to make that big a difference. But the wise men, they had their eyes fixed on the darkness so they could see when the new light was being birthed. I believe that as a church, we have a responsibility not just to stare at the light all day long, but we have a responsibility to stare into the darkness and really look at the heart of who we are and the heart of who our city is so that we can begin to identify when something has changed or something needs to change. The most religious among them did not even know that Jesus had been born because they were looking at the wrong thing all along. The websites they were reading were le- websites that that were speaking to where they were, not to where they were headed. That's why our offering was called a future fields offering. It's because I don't want to just sow into where we are. Like, this is great, but like, let's sow into where we want to go. Let's sow into what God wants to do, what God is going to do. I, look, I, there's things already developing in the life of our church that I'm like I didn't even realize that God would be doing this this quickly. And I want to be able to get there and have the resources to fund that thing. Cuz there's nothing much worse than to show up like you show up to a party without a gift. It's the same thing. It's nothing much worse than to show up to an opportunity given to you by God and not have the resources to fulfill that opportunity by God. Nothing much worse than to show up and say, "Hey, this would be really great, but I'm totally not ready." Like, I see that this is the place that God has prepared for me, but I also see that I never saw it coming. Now that I'm here, I realize that, you know what, I probably should have been doing something three, four, five, six years ago. I love the fact that what made the wise men wise was not because the Bible college they went to, it wasn't because they com- completed connect steps in a record amount of time. I don't need four weeks, I need two weeks. Uh, give me all the material, I'm going to just consume it in my spirit, and then I'm going to give you a discourse and a dialogue, if you will, of what you're trying to teach me. No, that's not what they did. They were able to identify what was different. They were able to look at the sky and had looked at the sky long enough that said, That wasn't there a week ago. And here they followed this star all the way to the point to where now the thing that they had identified as different, they could mark out in front of them and they could follow it until the mission was completed. The second thing that we see with the wise men was the wise men followed the course. They followed the course. Verse two, I'm gonna read down for you a little bit further. This is King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I love this. That not only was Herod disturbed, but everybody was disturbed. Everybody right now forked out of whack. You know how there's some people in your family who just know how to get everybody riled up right now? <laughs> like, let's talk about gay marriage. Like, why? Like, like, like just like some people, like, like, they bring it up and it's like, just, it's not like, it's not that I don't want to talk about it. Then they're like, oh, so you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, no, like, just we're eating cookies right now. And... Uh, <laughs> We're about to play some, like, you know, trouble, and I thought that, you know, this was maybe not the time. like, Or just people love to just get things going at the most inopportune times, where they can just make it really weird, really quick. I have family members like that. None of them who are here in the room, obviously, but, you know. <laughs> no, but I do. I, we all have family like that, where... It just, you can get into the holidays, you sit down, you begin to open gifts, and you open the gift, this happens a lot for me, and it's, it's I, my reaction is somewhere between like a five and a six, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. tried my best, I searched everywhere for that gift. <laughs> <laughs> There's dozens of stores looking for that gift, you're like, I love it though. You're like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like you do, and it's just an awkward, an awkward hush falls over the room. And it's, it happens, because in our, in, in our society and in our culture, and just us as people, We can live in a way that, where all of a sudden when we begin to realize that there was things that I should have seen that I didn't see, I begin to get frustrated. And not only do I get frustrated, but everybody around me is getting frustrated. The whole city of Jerusalem is in an uproar because Herod could not see what was coming. It goes on down to verse 5, and it says, In Bethlehem and Judea they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. It's not surprising to me that Herod called a private meeting. Often deceit and deception happens in private. Often often manipulation happens behind the scenes. Manipulation is never typically something that's just out front of everybody. And often we can get wrapped up in manipulation. We can get wrapped up in frustration. We can get wrapped up in this idea that I have to create the environment in the world that I want to live in. So Herod calls the private meeting. He says, hey, guys, man, you guys are wise. I love you guys, man. What are you guys, you guys like Persian or something? Like start starts speaking to them in a Persian accent. Uh, you know, like, some, like you ever been in a Mexican restaurant with somebody and they start trying to speak in a Mexican in a Mexican Hispanic accent to the lady coming up to the table and you're like, hey, you're making all of us really uncomfortable. Like, you do not know Spanish, don't do that. Or like, like just like, don't do that right now. It's kind of like that. I imagine Herod to be that guy, right? Like, he's like, what are you guys, Persian? And, like, starts trying to speak to them. He knows like three words. He knows like bathroom in Persian. Like, so he says it to him, try to create some common ground. And he says, hey, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to go to Jerusalem. I'd love for you to look around. I'd love for you to find the Messiah and then report back to me because, man, I have got a worshiper's heart. I just want freedom in the spirit to worship this guy in spirit and in truth. I just, I want to I lay my life down before this true Messiah and king. It's easy for a lot of people to hear that and be like, man, this guy, he's submitted. Like this guy, this guy has a heart for the Lord. But the wise men, they knew better than that. The wise men knew better than that because they did not get deceived by his deception. You have an understanding, let's talk about this just really quickly, is that you have the opportunity to receive deception. Deception is not something that you have to allow yourself to be deceived by. Go all the way back to the garden. Okay, let's just take this. Go all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve. What happened in the garden was not Eve's fault. The Bible says that Eve was deceived. Adam made the choice. She was deceived. The serpent had deceived her. But Adam, he was aware of what happened and then chose to still willfully go the other way. It's important for us because, look, hey, if we're going to be and do what God has called us to do, it's going to take more than us just being able to identify what's wrong. But (laughs) that spirit is not right. Okay, great. So what are you going to do about it? Well, our city is full of fill in the blank, whatever it is, poverty, uh, whatever you want to fill and add into that blank. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to just sit back and talk about it? Because the wise men, they could have just taken a place of um, importance and purpose when they sat before the king. See, some people stand before the king and then they never want to actually leave that place because now they've received a position of power. And so now that I've got the ear of the king, why would I want to go anywhere else? He wants to hear what I have to say, so I'm just going to keep speaking to him. And so if I speak to him, then maybe my favor will increase and grow. No, the wise men knew that they had to stay the course. So they headed on to Jerusalem, and as they headed on, the star began to move. And as the star moved, they followed it until it stopped over the home of Joseph and Mary. They go into the house, and here's Mary and Jesus running around, and he's making loaves, turning to all kinds of things, and (laughs) it's great. (laughs) And the wise men sit there, and they begin to immediately, they fall down before the Lord. They just lay their life out before him. They begin to worship. I believe that for us to really follow the course and not allow ourselves to be so wrapped up in our own praise that we miss and forget the opportunity to give the one who deserves our praise our praise. We can get so wrapped up and consumed in what I need, and what I have, who identifies me as important, who I can call and text, who's in my phone. That, that was more so probably in the youth ministry world, like where youth pastors would be like, well, yeah, I'm good buddies with that guy. Like, are you? Like, yeah, I've got his number on my phone. It's just an email address, but it says his name. Like, he said, he said, you know, email him any questions I want. And he's like, okay, cool. See if you ever get a response. Uh, like, but it's funny because we live in a world where we can begin to take on our identity from what other people say about us. We can begin to take on our direction because of what other people say about us. You understand that the journey here for the wise men wasn't a weekend trip to Bethlehem. It was a journey that they had many opportunities to turn back on. They had many opportunities to say, you know what? This has been great. It's been fun. I probably get some brownie points for searching after the Messiah. That's probably, that's probably going to help out in heaven one day. But, you know, I can't go all the way to Jerusalem. I've been doing this for six months. Like, let's be, let's be serious. How long does God really want me to search with no result of fruit? The Bible says, seek and you shall find. It doesn't say seek for six months and then you'll find me. Doesn't say seek for a year. Doesn't say seek for three years. Sweet Lord, what if He's called us to seek for five years? What if the next five years of your life is just seeking? Not finding, seeking. See, because that's what the wise men had to do. Like, no one, no one gets blessed by that point. Everyone's like, oh, amen. I'm going to seek, say that word. Like, you know, I'm like, no, I know. No one gets blessed by that point. Everybody gets blessed by the finding. No one gets blessed by the seeking. Seek and you shall find. Wiseman sought after the Lord. A lot of theologians, not for two years. What have you been seeking for two years that you have not given up on? stings a little bit, don't it? Because it does for me. I look at the things in my life. I've kind of shifted some things and some priorities in the last couple weeks. And the last couple of weeks, and it's been interesting for me how just some minor shifts can begin to change a lot of perspective. You're like, man, I didn't realize that this, this, and this would really help me see this, this, and this a lot better. But it's important that we follow the course. The wise men didn't get out there and say, you know what? <laughs> um, I love the star, but I'm not even sure that's the right star, so I'm going to go follow this star. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit brighter. It's got more of the shape that I like stars to have. Not so much of a round, more of an obtuse. It's, I don't, you know, just, it's a very holy star. I'm going to follow that star. The wise men didn't do that. They followed the star. They followed the way. God has set a way for your life. Our responsibility is to follow the way that he's laid out before us. Sometimes the way that he's laid out before us is a way in which we have to submit our life to someone else. We have to, we have to ask someone else for direction. It's the third thing you see the wise men do. Is The wise men, they asked clear questions. You see it with Herod where they said, where is the king of the Jews? They didn't say, hey, um, we're looking for this young guy. Like, I don't know if you've heard this story before, but there's this guy in Isaiah, he talked about, no, they asked clear and direct questions. Where has the king of the Jews been born? Because we want to worship him. Is it crazy enough to believe that maybe what God is waiting on in your life is waiting on you to begin to ask some clear questions? Maybe God knows what you want. He knows what you're trying to say, but he's really just wanting you to actually say it. It's the way we talked about with the power of confession, where it's difficult to say what we struggle with. Why? Because we hear ourselves say it. And if we hear ourselves say it, then all of a sudden it just became real. All of a sudden, if I need to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or my fiance or my girlfriend or whatever, if I say, Lord, help me to stop, then all of a sudden I've heard myself admit that there's some areas where I need to change. If I say, Lord, help me to forgive, Lord, help me to stop being bitter, Lord, help me to stop being lustful, Lord, help me to stop being a poor steward of what you've given me. As soon as we say it out of our mouth, it's not that God didn't know it before, it's that all of a sudden our ears now hear it, and it becomes a reality of the fact that we admitted where we're not. The disciples disciples are the picture of this. They asked clear questions to the Lord, and we look at them a lot of times like, how could you be a bigger idiot? Like, like, really cool guys, but you guys were really, really simple dudes. Like, you're asking basic questions. But I believe the reason the disciples were the disciples was because they were willing to lay down their own pride and ask clear questions. They were willing to set everything aside and say, hey, I don't really care about how this makes me look. Could you please explain to me how you just did that? Is there any way possible that you could take like 30 seconds and explain to me how you took the loaf and like, did you pull it? Was it the way that you held your arm? Like, had you listened to a really good podcast recently? Like, are you a part of a really dynamic mailing list? Like, what is it? Like, how did you like multiply the loaves? Like, did you shut your eyes? Like, do I need to pray? Like, do I need like the same outfit you wore? Like, they ask questions. Why? Because they wanted answers. Often we don't ask questions because we don't want answers. You don't ask your spouse what's wrong because you don't want to know what's wrong. Like, Lord, I am so, like, I've got enough wrong I've got to fix in me that if I ask you, it's going to be too much wrong. My brain's going to shut down. Like, and we don't ask sometimes. You don't ask your kids what's the matter because it's like, I just, let's just eat a piece of pizza and just please go in the other room. Like, even like the girls, I just strap a piece of pizza to them and I just push them on their walker <laughs> to the other room. I do, I do. That's funny. Because uh, sometimes you're just like, I can't, I can't ask any more questions. Why? Because we're consumed with ourselves. Why? Because we've forgotten what the Bible teaches, which is to worry about nothing and pray about everything. Our prayer life is probably lacking, therefore we've started worrying, therefore we've stopped asking questions, because I've got no more room for anybody else's issue. I've got my own issues that I'm dealing with. Your issues don't have to be issues if you'll just simply lay them down at the foot of the Lord. Your issues don't have to be a struggle if you'll just simply lay them down at God's feet and say, Hey, uh, I can't do that anymore. I can't. So I'm going to have to go the other direction right now, or I'm going to lose my mind right here. And you're going to have to hear me cuss again, even though I, nobody else knows I do. Uh, you're going to have to hear me. Lord, I can't. I can't. I believe the more transparent we'll be in our relationship with the Lord and in our conversation with the Lord, the more freedom we'll have inside of our own heart and life. We have a responsibility as believers and as Christians not just to bottle up and to try to manufacture what looks like a spiritual life, but really to be those who give and live and a spiritual life comes from them. The wise men, they get to the house and, like I said, I love to believe Jesus was doing all kinds of great things. It was like making a donkey levitate around the room. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great, though? Like, can you imagine being James, though? Jesus is his half-brother. And like here, you're like, your, your older brother can perform miracles. And you're like, great, I'm just the carpenter. Like, like you're like bitter over in the corner, you know. I like, guess Jesus is like floating around the room with this halo. you think he didn't have a halo. He probably made one for himself. Anyways. The wise men come in and they begin to worship immediately at his feet. The Bible says they fall down flat on their face before the Lord. Imagine that. Can you imagine the pride that you would have to just completely obliterate to lay down at the foot of a two-year-old? To worship a two-year-old? Honestly, the reality is, is that probably when they walked in, there was probably nothing about him that looked necessarily majestic. I doubt he was glowing, you know, like the pictures have him, like like the heart of Jesus was on the outside, like, and you know, he's very, like, you know, I don't know, like one of those candles that you burn, like you know, that are in like the Hispanic food section of the grocery store, <laughs> darn it. It's like a glowing angel and Jesus in the heart. Anyways, it probably wasn't very majestic, honestly. It was probably just Jesus. Probably looked like a two-year-old just running around the house being a two-year-old. And the wise men immediately walk in and they lay down on their face before him and they begin to worship him as the Messiah. Tell me that'd be easy for you. Now. Nah. You'd walk in and his, your buddy lays down. You're like, are we doing this? We're laying down. It's, uh, he looks too. He smells kind of like he messed up his diaper. So all right. we'll lay down. And they lay down and they begin to worship. And the Bible says that after they do that for a period of time, we don't know how long they were down there, they stood up and they begin to give gifts that they had brought. It says that they opened their treasure chest, which is interesting. Because the nativity scene that you have in your house and the nativity scene that I have in my house kind of shows the idea that they brought a wrapped present to the Lord. I was like, "Hmm, I brought this jar of frankincense to you, Lord. Like, uh, it it says that they opened their their chest. They took from something that was theirs and gave it to him. They didn't show up with a prepackaged gift. I really don't believe they did. I believe that who they were as individuals dictated the gift that they gave. It wasn't like, hey, you're going to bring the frankincense. Uh, you're going to bring the gold. I'm the myrrh guy. Uh, I'm like, and so, like, you know me. Good for that myrrh. Uh, like, no, I, I, I believe who they were dictated the gift that they brought. I believe that when they opened their chest, I think they just naturally had those gifts. It's not a coincidence they were all uniquely different, and they begin to give them to the Lord. The Bible says they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Really, these gifts weren't even just given by accident. Really, the gifts themselves had significance. Throughout the entire word of God, gold represents royalty. From the Old Testament to the New, from the tabernacle to the temple of David, gold represents royalty. So as they gave that gift of gold to the Lord, that wise man was establishing. He was acknowledging the royalty of who God was. The guy steps up, and then he gives the frankincense. See, frankincense and myrrh, they're similar in the fact that you have to drill into a tree. And when you drill into a tree, it's what begins to flow from that tree. Gold is a, is a natural material. You, you, you mine it up. You, 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 you place it on, uh, on an object. You establish a crown. You set it on a head. It, it, is, a, it is an object that is made from something uh, to symbolize something else. But frankincense and myrrh are completely different. They come from the source of something. So frankincense is drained off of a tree and it flows out from a tree. And you have this really represents the righteousness of God. So you kind of have this first guy, and he gives the gold, and it establishes his royalty and his kingship, if you will. Second guy gives the frankincense, and it really it symbolizes the righteousness of who God is. The sweet smelling incense. That's what frankincense was used for. It smelled, it, the Bible talks about how it would be given, it was a pleasant aroma before the Lord. It smelled of holiness and righteousness. It smelled of everything that reminded God of God. And then myrrh. In the same way, but yet different. So if the gold represents royalty and frankincense represents righteousness, the myrrh really represented redemption. Because the other place that you hear in Jesus' life myrrh talked about was in the drink that they prepared before the Lord as he was making his way to the cross. It so says they prepared a bitter cup for him to drink. And one of the three ingredients inside of that cup was myrrh because when you drank it it would put you in a bit of a stupor. It was almost a uh, um, kind of served a medicinal purpose to kind of numb the pain. Really it was used to embalm and preserve the body. And it's crazy to think these wise men show up, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And here you are the last guy, like the gold guy, like whatever. Like everybody's like, oh, you showed up with gold, great. Like, but like, can you imagine being the myrrh guy? Because here you are handing to a two-year-old the gift of his own death. You're laying down in front of him saying, hey, look, I know right now you're two, but one day, one day this gift is going to come in handy for you and you're going to redeem us all. It's going to require you to die. But the good news is you're going to get back up. Three days later, because of your sacrifice, we'll all be saved. Can you imagine that? Man, you're handing this two-year-old a death certificate. Hey, look, this is what you're going to do. But it's going to change us all. Crazy, isn't it? Here they did. They laid it all down before him. They laid it all at his feet. And you find that these wise men had every opportunity to stop, to quit, to turn around. But really they gave something that cost them something. It didn't just cost them in value and in monetary sense, but it cost them because their pride had to be laid down. Their spirit had to be laid down. They had to be filleted before the Lord say, hey, you're our king, you're royal, you're righteous, and you're going to redeem us all. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life, or by following us on social media under the handle at LegacyHouseFL. Don't miss next week's podcast, From Our House to Yours.